Before we get rolling, check out the NPR One app to listen to this podcast and so many others. It is a great way to find new shows and stories. And NPR One will hand curate what you like and give you more. Find NPR One, O-N-E, on your app store now. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast here with the second of our daily episodes from the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, Ohio. And after a formal delegate count Tuesday, Donald Trump is officially the Republican Party's nominee for president. We will get into that and what else happened. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress and this week, the convention. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. We're so glad to have you, Ron. You know, this is my first convention. This is definitely not your first. How many have you been to? This is number 17. Stop it. Tell us about Alf Landon, It's my ninth. Well, (laughs) you know what? I'm so glad you asked because Alf Landon was nominated right here in Cleveland. It's not like you guys said Alf Landon, and I was like, Alf? Alf Landon. Alf Landon, the governor of Kansas, was nominated for president by the Republican Party right here in Cleveland in 1936, and it was the last time a party nominated a candidate here. This is why I love Ron Elving, though. We were walking down the street in Cleveland, and there's a big banner in Cleveland celebrating the convention, and there's a sign-up that says, you know, celebrating the first time since they've had the convention since 1936. And I was like, oh, that's a cool banner. And Ron goes, Alf Landon. And I was like, did you know that off the top of your head? And he was like, of course. You don't want to know about the rest of my head. National treasure Ron Elving. Anyway, so we are up here in our little radio booth on the sixth floor of the Q Arena in downtown Cleveland. You might hear a bit of noise because we're on Radio Row, so there are other folks actually making radio, too. Imagine. How dare they? Um, but don't mind the noise too much. Let's get to it. This was the day that Donald Trump officially became the nominee for his party. It happened during the roll call of all the state delegates, and Trump's son, Donald Jr., was the one to kind of make the call. And it is my honor to be able to throw Donald Trump over the top in the delegate count tonight with 89 delegates and another six for John Kasich. Congratulations, Dad. We love you. After this, they cue New York, New York. The crowd is cheering. Remember when everyone was saying this was going to be a contested convention, yada, yada, yada? Were, were any of you surprised by that tonight? Surprised by? How far we've come. Oh, how far we've come. <laughs> you know, this was why tonight was more fun, I think, than last night. Uh, we weren't trying to be scared tonight. We were just trying to have a little bit more fun, have the ritualized roll call. Alaska, 28 votes Trump. America, Samoa, 9 votes Trump. California, 172 votes Trump. And it's traditional, and people like it, and it, it's goofy. It was fun. It's I silly. love it. I so love it. Fun. Oh, yeah. You know, I especially liked when the Minnesota folks gave a shout-out to Prince. I love that. Madam Secretary, on behalf of the great state of Minnesota, home of 10,000 lakes, home of Spam, yeah. <laughs> and home of the late great Prince, I love the yeah, roll call the of the states. Absolutely. I think Florida gave a shout out to being the state where LeBron won his first two championships <laughs> with the Miami Heat. We are the state that gave LeBron James his first two championships. It was just, it, it was it was very fun to watch. Um, yes. A friend of mine tweeted, I've tweeted about how much I love the roll call of the states. I just feel like this is the, it just feels like American politics when you're listening yeah. to the roll call of the states. Yeah. And the energy in the room is really fun. And, and a friend of mine tweeted back at me like, this is like the opening games of the Olympics for politics. 
Olympics. You know, oh, you hear the yeah. roll call of the states and it's like the torch. Yeah, yeah. and this is like the, the de- for most of the delegations, it's it's like real people. It's it's the delegates. It's the grassroots. Like there's just a feeling of like engagement that yeah. I just I love it. I and love even the some spectacle. NPR politics podcast listeners and the delegations. Oh, talk, cool. Talk to one of them tonight. Yeah, and then we had, you know, the lighting of the torch. In this case, it came from one of the upper floors of the Trump Tower in New York, and he came in via video, and there he was, the, the torch bearer, if you will, on the video. You're talking he, about Trump speaking tonight via video for a while. He did that, so he was here physically last night. He was here via video tonight. We'll see him again on Wednesday and Thursday night. Of course, Thursday night he'll be here to hold up his arm and Mike Pence's arm and declare themselves the victory team. You know, so the theme for every night is a riff on Make America something again. Tonight was Make America Work Again. I think it would be fair to say that they didn't stick to theme so much tonight. To me, this was like make the case against Hillary Clinton again. You know, like the speeches tonight really hammered at her. And the sound of it was a much more anti-Hillary night to me than it was, here are the great things about Donald Trump. There, of course, there was some of that, particularly from his kids, but uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell spoke. I think his his speech was almost entirely about it being anti-Hillary. I'm here to tell you, Hillary Clinton will say anything, do anything, and be anything to get elected president. And we cannot allow it. Uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan spoke. His his was also specifically about Clinton, but more broadly against liberalism and progressivism. From now to November, we will hear how many different ways progressive elitists can find to talk down to the rest of America. To tell the voters that the Obama years have been good for you, that you should be grateful, and well, now it's it's Hillary's turn. And Chris Christie. He was the guy of the night. Yeah. He was tonight's Giuliani, right, Ron? He was the guy who without any doubt, auditioned for attorney general before the entire nation. Is that a job you audition for? Yes, it is a job you audition for if you choose to. Now, I have never seen anyone do it in such an unbuttoned fashion as Chris Christie did tonight. So let's do something fun tonight. Tonight, as a former federal prosecutor, I welcome the opportunity to hold Hillary Rodham Clinton accountable for her performance and her character. And then again and again, he laid out the facts of the case, as he put it. She said all work-related emails were sent back to the State Department. The FBI director said, that's not true. So, as to Hillary Clinton, the charge of putting herself ahead of America, guilty or not guilty? Guilty! Then they chanted, lock her up. Lock her up. Lock her up. And and that happened a few times tonight. It was consistent. Is that out of the ordinary? I mean, this is is a potential nominee for president uh, with the other side saying she should go to jail. Okay, I remember a convention in 1988 where the Democrats were pretty harsh on George H.W. Bush. Said he was a war criminal. Well... They admitted that he might have been out of the loop with respect to the Iran-Contra contest. No, I'm not talking talking about about the other Bush. The other Bush. Well, in in 2004, there was a lot of harsh talk about George W. Bush, but we had troops in the field at the time, so they had to be a little careful. We're talking about the commander-in-chief. In In 1988, George H.W. Bush was the vice president. He wasn't being accused of being a warmonger. He was essentially being accused of being a wimp and, and asleep at the switch and just a negligible person and character. And it went way over the top, in my opinion. And they hurt themselves, in my opinion. 
uh, in that campaign by being too harsh on somebody who was not that disrespected by the country as a whole. Maybe Hillary Clinton is different. Maybe the country has changed that much in 28 years. It certainly has changed a great deal. And maybe this will not redound against the fortunes of Donald Trump. We'll see. Republicans do seem to do better. They're very good at distilling down to slogans and chants. I th- I lock her up, as we heard it last night. That resonates. I think we're going to hear it a couple more. I think we're going to hear it every night here in Cleveland. That seems to be the chant that sort of captured the crowd. In 2008, if you remember, drill, baby, drill. Oh, uh, yeah. That became sort of the three-word message they hammered home. In 2012, you built that? We built that. We built we that. Built that. We built that. You in know? response to Obama saying, you didn't build yes, that. Yes, and that became sort of the slogan that captured the room. And I feel like Lock Her Up is this year's chant from it's Cleveland. Be tough. It's going to be tough. To, it. to, they love it. They love it. going to be tough to find anything else that's quite so popular. I hope it doesn't get worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there were other speeches tonight. We heard uh, from the president of the UFC, Ultimate Fighting Club, a friend of Trump's. And he described Trump as, wait for it, a fighter. Uh, but we also heard tonight from Trump's children. Uh, one of his children who isn't known for speaking out in public a lot did so tonight, uh, Tiffany Trump, a recent college graduate from University of Pennsylvania, and she tried to give voters a more personal side of her father. We have some tape. I always look forward to introducing him to my friends, especially the ones with preconceived notions, because they meet a man with natural charm and no facade. In person, my father is so friendly, so considerate, so funny, and so real. My friends walk away with a glimpse of all that he is and all that he means to me, of the strong, protective, kind, endearing man I am so proud to call my father. How do we think she did? You know, I'm I'm never going to criticize the kids of politicians. I just I think she did perfectly fine. She seems lovely. She's not played a very front role in this campaign. She also just graduated from college. Good for you, Tiffany. And as she said herself, she has not been a public speaker and she seemed to be quite poised to do a lovely job. I thought, I mean, maybe she didn't have quite the, you know, perfect anecdote that would make us all completely buy into this humanization of Donald Trump, but uh, I think she got closer to it than Melania did last night. And you know what I noticed tonight? There was one moment where she talked about a time when Donald Trump was really there for her. She said something like, someone close to me died. A few years ago, someone very dear to me passed away, and the first call I got, as I knew I would, came from my father. Without his unwavering support and care for me during such a challenging time, I don't know how I would have made it through. So you hear that, and at first you're like, oh, that's really sweet. But then you're like, who was the person? That's like, like, if I were telling that story, wouldn't I say, oh, my cousin died, or my ex died, or blah, died, and my dad called me and said this. In defense of the way she put that, it's possible. The speech writer wants you to project into that story someone in your own life yeah. where you might imagine this. Well, also what I got from it is that a theme that I'm seeing now from the Trump family, and I'm not critiquing this at all, I'm just saying this thing that I've noticed, they're private people. Yeah. They are not ones to tell you all about what happens inside of their house. And I'm not mad at them for that. Yeah, they don't pull back the curtain in And that's any their choice. And I honestly think that that's their choice. I think that the current political climate has made us accustomed and feel privileged to everything that happens in these folks' family lives. But maybe it's okay if they don't tell us everything that happens in their house. Yeah. So that, in some measure, though, has to war against the basic purpose and target of a lot of this convention, which is to humanize, personalize, and make more sympathetic the persona of Donald Trump. But here's my theory. 
and I might have said it last night too, I don't think Donald Trump wants to be seen as human. He wants to be seen as superhuman. He is someone who paints yeah. himself as larger than life in every way. He's not trying to be normal. He's actually not trying to be normal. Well, All that, right. Hold on. I want to All find right. the line. Maybe, maybe there is the possibility that he can have superhuman powers <laughs> but still have a human yeah, side. I hear you. I hear you. I'm going to try not to go to Marvel Comics for a parallel metaphor. I like that point, though, Sam, because when Donald Trump Jr. spoke tonight, uh, yeah. and he had the line about where he said, this is why we're the only kids of billionaires. It's why we're the only children of billionaires as comfortable in a D10 Caterpillar as we are in our own cars. But it was an interesting, like, line where he, they both had to, like, remind you that they're wealthy, right? Like, you can't let that go. Like, we're the only sons of billionaires. And by the way, did you notice that was a B for billionaires? Exactly. Like they yeah. had, But then it was like, but here's our, we still relate with real America. I just thought it was a very, like, father-like son kind of moment. Yeah, where... it, it's also a very nice tractor. And <laughs> the, it's best the best tractor. concrete it that the has best ever tractor. been poured I'll tell you what, anywhere. Though, I, 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 like, had this moment tonight where I was like, Man, who from my family would I put up to give a speech oh, about me? Yeah, right? Fair. <laughs> I don't fair. know. Fair, fair. Very fair. Not my mama. But, yeah. and you know. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I wouldn't put my dad up there. I love you, Regina Sanders. I love you, Jerry Davis. I love, I love you, you, Jerry but Davis. But you are not about to talk about me on a microphone. No. Um, but I would say also about his son. And I think, different, separate from Tiffany, because she's not been involved in the campaign, but I also thought with Donald Trump Jr. tonight that his kids... Uh, and I include Ivanka in this and Eric Trump, who offered him a for nomination. Like, I think they got the politics bug. Yeah, they did. The, this, they like they, that. The yeah. kids seem to really, yes. really love this. And, and to when be he this was new to it, they're speech, pretty good. Yeah. He lo- Donald J. Trump Jr. tonight, he loved being up there. And he gave a good speech. And, but you could tell he was, like, yes. looking out at the room. Yeah. And he was like, I like the way this feels. These kids are involved in this campaign. And I have seen it in many places reported. They were all over the decision that it should be Mike Pence and not Chris Christie. Right. The kids flew out to Indiana and met with them. They were part of that meeting. Yeah. Anyways, so much more to hit on. We are going to talk about Speaker Paul Ryan's speech tonight. What's next for tomorrow? But first, a quick break. BRB. Hey, this is Carter Matier. I'm here from the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, Ohio, as an alternate delegate from the great state of Colorado. Before we get back to the show, if you want to hear about some great conversations, check out Terry Gross in her interview show, Fresh Air. On any given day, you will hear Questlove tell a story about a ping pong duel between Prince and Jimmy Fallon. You will hear writer Sarah Hepelaw talk about rethinking her sex life after she quit drinking. You will also hear New Yorker journalist Evan Osnos explain handguns in America. Those and other interviews on the Fresh Air podcast. Get it on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcasts. Okay, back to the show. That was clutch, dude. That was, that was really? money. Yeah. You were good. Thanks. You Thanks. got a future. Thanks. Ah. <laughs> All right, we're back. So, listeners, we got a lot of feedback from you all about our discussion of Melania Trump's speech. We have so much more to say about it. So much more has uh, come out of that speech since the last time you heard our voices. We will get there. But first, I want to finish up talking about all of the speeches from Tuesday night, one of them being from House Speaker Paul Ryan. Ron, what did he say? 
Paul Ryan was out to talk about party unity. He is, of course, the Speaker of the House. He was not a big fan of Donald Trump during the primaries. And uh, he has made some criticisms of Donald Trump that have been quite telling, such as saying it was textbook racism for Donald Trump to say the things he said about Judge Curiel, the federal judge who was handling the Trump University case. He has also made it hard for one to imagine that he could ever really wrap his arms around Donald Trump. But tonight, he did the best he could at showing full enthusiasm for the ticket, and a lot of that is Mike Pence, and then saying, hey, get with it. So what do you say? What do you say? What do you say that we unify this party? And at some point, it was almost like hooking a fish, and suddenly <laughs> he was pulling the audience up. Let's take our fight to our opponents with better ideas. Let's get on the offensive and let's stay there out of their seats, onto their feet. And this has not been easy at this convention. Most of the speakers have not been able to connect with the audience. And he had them, and they were cheering, and they were unified. Even if only for a moment, they were where they need to be. Let's win this thing. Let's show America our best and nothing less. Thank you, thank you, and God bless. You know, and what was interesting to me also about Paul Ryan is that he's had this very dramatic relationship with Donald Trump. He wouldn't endorse him in the beginning. He had a very dramatic come around to endorse him. He's outlined his own agenda that he says should be the direction of the Republican Party. Given his own big policy speeches. He's had his own town hall on yeah. CNN. I mean, he's done all these things to sort of hold on to the traditional base of conservatism. And one of the things that Paul Ryan has been very upfront about is he does worry about the size of the Republican Party tent and making sure people feel like they can be part of it. And I think it was notable to me tonight that in a night full of, you know, sort of strong rhetoric and partisan rhetoric, he did also try to hit this higher note of inclusivity and unity and trying to persuade people to come to our side. Yeah. Real social progress is always a widening of the circle of concern and protection. It's respect and empathy overtaking blindness and indifference. It's understanding that by the true measure, we are all neighbors and countrymen, called each one of us to know what is right and kind and just, and to go and do likewise. Ah, that's a reference, of course, to an admonition from Christ to a would-be follower who was having trouble separating himself from his possessions, for he had many. Mm. That, I thought, was a barbed reference to Mr. Trump. Really? Yeah. Also, also it, it speaks very much to the Catholic-flavored social gospel side of Paul Ryan. And notice that that portion of the speech was not connecting with the hall. There was a lot of noise, a lot of ambient noise. People were not coming out of their seats to cheer at that point of the speech. But that's where Paul Ryan was sharing bearing his heart and sharing his most earnest feelings about where the Republicans ought to be. So um, on another note, we heard from one Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, he was pretty late in the evening, but well, first, before he even started his speech, he did say, because the crowd loved him as they do, and he said, don't eat up my time, y'all. All right. Don't eat up my time. Thank you. <laughs> he is something else. He, I just, I just... He's like, ben. he's like your relative that comes only once in a while to family gatherings, but when they show up, you're like, oh, you're here. Yes. Like, it's like reminds, yes. when my cousin Paul shows up, and everyone's like, oh, Paul's here. We're going to have a good time tonight. <laughs> like, everybody just loves him. Yeah. So he starts out, the crowd is loving him, but then he goes into some territory that some might say was a little off. He, um, play the tape. So are we willing to elect someone as president who has as their role model somebody who acknowledges Lucifer? Think about that. 
This was a reference to Saul Alinsky, who, I don't, Ron, do you, what is this? Okay, Saul Alinsky is a social organizer, radical. Some call him a terrorist. Oh, he, you know, I mean, he, he oh, goodness. Sorry. I mean, it, it went, whenever, whenever the rhetoric of the Republican Party goes off into talking about Saul Alinsky, you know you're talking to somebody who really cares about getting down in the weeds, about long ago controversies about communism and socialism and how to organize cadres of communist activists out there and so on. Some people still are very excited about that and very worried about it. Apparently Ben Carson is one of them and apparently the association, for example, that Barack Obama may have had at one time or another with someone who had some connection to Saul Alinsky, ditto uh, Hillary Clinton, some, some community organizer somewhere who had worked with Saul Alinsky. And whatever his philosophy was, apparently at some point or another, something that he wrote was read, at least by Ben Carson, as acknowledging, whatever that means, Lucifer, which is another name for the devil. So I knew I knew that you knew that. So, so, so okay. So now we're now we're saying now we're saying now we're talking about Satan, and I suppose that too is supposed to tar Hillary Clinton. Like somehow she is a devil worshiper. Or what are we trying to say? That was just Ben Carson being Ben Carson. Ben, ben gonna ben, ben, being ben. Ben gonna Ben. Um, oh, the else? other we should the one that I just thought was funny. I can't remember her name now off the top avocado. Of my no, the general manager of Trump Wineries. Oh yeah, as <laughs> well with Trump steak. I yeah. think Chris. So Solicit. okay, she 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 Chris gave Solicit this speech where out. she said that like Trump Winery generates like fifty million dollars in economic impact for the region. There was a hundred percent sales growth recently. She basically said this is a good business and a testament to. The goodness of Donald Trump. And maybe using your political convention to promote your private Wine? brands? Well, what does well, Trump want taste you what, like? I'll tell you apparently, what. it's pretty good. Okay. I, 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 apparently, okay, apparently it makes more sense than the avocado lady. Who was, name her for those that don't know. Kimberlyn Brown, who had been in uh, The Young and the Restless, mm-hmm. a soap opera which I am not familiar with, but I understand was entertaining. And now she is in the avocado business, and they had a perfect avocado light a green. color background behind her and she talked about the impact of Donald Trump on what can only be considered agricultural employment I guess you'd, you'd have to say and she America loves Avo toast. Guacamole. We're all for guacamole. The 1% loves Avo toast. <laughs> I will never pay $11 for some avocado sliced up on a piece of wheat bread. You can make it at home, Sam. I know. You know, I know. At one time, a presidential candidate actually ran and won on a ticket or a motto or a theme of a promise of a chicken in every pot. And now we're going to get a steak, uh, a guacamole. And some avo toast. Some avo toast. And a glass of red wine. <laughs> you know, okay, the fact that we have taken this conversation to avo toast speaks to a general lack of unifying coherence to the theme of the night. Can we all agree that... Are we, blaming, are ex- we blaming the, the I will, subject? I would never blame an avocado for anything. But are, you, are we blaming the subject matter for our own lack of incoherence? I'm just saying, could the, could the planners of this night of the convention made it a bit more cohesive thematically? It did not seem to me that tonight's plan held together. Last night's plan... Last night felt like a yes. pretty... It was a night that was effective. This hey, night felt less effective. But at least tonight they stuck to time. And last night yeah. they ran way over, and yeah. they ran a much tighter ship tonight, yeah. and they ended right on time. So yeah. maybe maybe it felt... they Maybe they were cutting some parts of the program that would have made it feel more cohesive together. Although, you know, with, with an umbrella topic of Make America Work Again... That's a lot. A lot fits in that umbrella. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like your topic tonight is freedom. Take you it know? in whatever direction That's you need right. to, speakers. Speaking of 
more of that was not a good transition. We should get it. We got to talk. Speaking about, of freedom. Speaking of freedom. <laughs> and in other news, speaking, Melania Trump. Speaking of being free to use other people's words all up in your speeches, um, oh. we have to revisit Melania. We do. What Melania Trump. Segment. Okay, so first of all, we heard from a few of you guys online who said, whoa, you guys were too easy on the plagiarism accusations of Melania Trump's speech. As you all know by now, folks were saying that she lifted a graph or two from Michelle Obama's 08 convention speech. Okay, we can, what, let's just play the tape again. Yeah, yeah. And Barack and I were raised with so many of the same values. The values that you work hard for what you want in life. You work hard for what you want in life. That your word is your bond. That your word is your bond. That you do what you say you're um, But there's more to talk about. Since the speech, there has been a little bit of backbiting back and forth between Trump campaign higher-ups about whose fault this is, right? Well, to some degree, the fault has to land on the person who had the speech last before she gave it. And some people said, Corey Lewandowski, the former campaign manager, said that had to be Paul Manafort. I don't know how he would know that, except that he averred that. And I suppose the campaign chairman, in some response, in some sense, is responsible for everything in the campaign. Certainly everything is high profile as a speech by the candidate's wife. So he should have, somebody should have done what has been absolutely standard practice for high-profile speeches by presidential candidates since the 1980s, run the speech through some kind of Google check, run yeah. it through something to make sure that there isn't purposefully or inadvertently a big section that's going to look yes. borrowed, even if it isn't. And in this case, kind of hard, kind of hard not to see it as being borrowed. When I was in college in like 2004 or five, six. We ran all of my term papers through a little program at school so our professors could check and see if we copied. Like, Still this is do. a thing that people can do and have been doing for a while. Easily done. That said, Donald Trump continues to meet or beat expectations by completely blowing past all the traditional things that candidates, we expect them to do. No one was fired for this. I think oftentimes and a lot of times in a campaign where there's a screw up of this of this measure. That's the that, first thing you do. Yeah, or a staffer comes forward and steps down or me. resigns yes. and takes the blame for the boss and never lets the principal get hurt. The campaign has indicated that no one's going to be let go from this. They haven't really, they have not suggested that anyone really played a role in really shaping that speech besides Melania Trump. I mean, she's maintained that they, but they have maintained that she wrote it. But there was that, that weird statement it. that said that she had help, right? Right. But that it was like her idea. I, I, mean, I, I just can't imagine Melania Trump Googling Michelle Obama's speech, seeing that, and just putting it right in there, she knowing did. what she's yeah, doing. She I agree I with you, but that. they have not—they have not suggested that anyone's going to take the fall for well, this. It, is this is—it's a tough spot because, on the one hand, you don't want to acknowledge that this was a speech writer written speech. Donald Trump would not readily acknowledge that other people have worked on his books. Also, the Trump campaign never acknowledges that it's wrong. And they have never said that there was anything wrong with it. They said, look, Michelle Obama didn't invent the English language, quote, unquote. That was one of their explanations. She just said some words, and it turns out Melania said the same words. But we don't think it was Melania who did it, do we? We think it was a speechwriter because speechwriters write these speeches for everyone. Even Barack Obama has speechwriters. And so if someone got fired, it was somebody whose name you were never going to see anyway. So they were just let go. They won't be hired to write any more speeches. So, Sue, we were talking. Uh, this went gangbusters on the Internet. Melania Trump quotes was trending. Uh, lots and lots of jokes. So one of my favorite that I saw today, it was a picture of Melania, and the name on the photo was 
Melania Vanilli Trump in a reference to Millie Vanilli, the early 90s R&B duo that got uh, got their Grammys taken back yeah. because they were like lip syncing or something. And then they had a fictitious quote from Melania, from Melania Vanilli Trump that said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but I have a dream from four score and seven years ago that <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, it was funny. I will say, though, I saw I, some folks talked with me online today about some of the the racial angle of this story. You know, you had a white woman using the words of a black woman to establish our bona fides. And for a lot of people, this wasn't just plagiarism. It was appropriation uh, with all of the baggage and drama that comes along with that. So I, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that as funny as this was for me, and it was real funny, um, it's some serious stuff too. Do you think also that part of the frustration from some is that, you know, the Trump campaign and some of their surrogates I don't want to say they blame Michelle Obama, but they were very dismissive of her in their defense of Melania, saying like like Ron referenced saying like, well, Michelle Obama didn't in, invent the English language and sort of dragging the first lady. Into like she this. didn't do like, nothing about this. She was at SoulCycle in D.C., right? <laughs> like she didn't have anything to do with this. Like she was just like so then like it also seemed to unnecessarily draw in Michelle Obama yeah. to a fight that she was like, I don't even know yeah. what you're all yeah. are fighting about. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was something. This will be a week full of somethings, as will next week in Philadelphia. Uh, the next something seems to already be trending. There are some accusations that Donald Trump Jr. in his speech ripped off a few lines from a conservative magazine called the... Uh, American Conservative. What was that magazine? American, American conservative. conservative. Which was which is of the famed Buckley family, correct? Well, that's not that's National Review. That's oh, so it's Buckley not a Buckley magazine. thing at all. It, Buckley oh. is the author here, but it's not W.F. Buckley, the National Review guy. It's something in American Conservative, gotcha. which is a different publication. Gotcha. What is the line in question here? Let's play it. Our schools used to be an elevator to the middle class. Now they're stalled on the ground floor. They're like Soviet-era department stores that are run for the benefit of the clerks and not the customers. So these, th- these the lines are from two sentences, almost verbatim, from a particular graph in this piece. Um, and as we learned last night, you know, the Internet can take things over overnight. But I will say that I was just looking on Twitter and uh, apparently Buckley spoke to Vox and he told Vox that he was a principal speechwriter for the speech. Oh. So it's not an issue. Okay. So he maybe have appropriated some of that language, but it was written partly with the guy that had the original language. Okay. So it's more maybe of an homage. If he good, we good. Uh, exactly. <laughs> okay, so it's not the writer who's been offended, but you are still creating an impression that this individual was responsible for that language when he wasn't. Now, that is a very old story in politics, right? But in the age of Internet, when you're using something that's been previously published, you are in danger of being pounced on on Twitter and other social media in exactly the way these two yeah. members of the Trump family have been. Well, you guys don't pounce on me, but usually about three times a week, I casually drop a Kanye lyric into daily conversation. It's a thing I do. We knew that. You we know you that. do that, we Sam. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but all right. we love you for <laughs> it, you guys too. Before we wrap, what is up for tomorrow? Make America what again? Tomorrow is Make America First again. I would like to explain to you what that means, although I'm not entirely sure. I think there will be a lot of 
the founding fathers and the original inspiration for this country, sort of like, let's go back to basics, let's go back to the big ideas. Uh, the big speakers tomorrow night, we're going to hear from Ted Cruz, which I think oh. there's, a, there's a lot of interest in Does seeing Does he what like he Donald says. Trump now? Well, you know, a lot of the uh, initial protests on the floor came from Ted Cruz supporters. The Virginia delegation here was really strong for Cruz and created some, some drama on the floor. So what he says and what he comes out and says will be of interest because, of course, you know, Ted Cruz, there was reports this week that he's already sort of calculating for 2020 oh, if Donald I'm Trump sure doesn't win. So listen, hearing what he has to say will be very interesting. But of course, the big headline tomorrow night is Indiana Governor Mike Pence. He will give his big speech. Uh, and Donald Trump is also supposed to appear again in the hall tomorrow. Like video or the, here? The, we don't know. There's a lot of suspense. We don't know, but okay. he, he is expected to participate in the convention in some way uh, every night. And he will be in Cleveland tomorrow. The All most right. recent report I saw from the RNC is that he will be here. Tomorrow so, being Wednesday. Tomorrow being Wednesday. So it's if he's in town, it's likely that we know we'll have an appearance of him in some way. We just don't know whether it'll be in the flesh or on screen. Either way, it'll be a highlight of the evening, as it has been Monday and Tuesday nights. All right. That's a wrap. We'll be back tomorrow and each weekday after that. In between, turn on a little bitty thing called your radio or stream your local station live online. Go to npr.org slash stations to find your local station. Every morning, every evening, if you're listening to Morning Edition, All Things Considered, or Weekend Edition, all of us from the podcast will be all over NPR all week. And, hey, Chicago, tickets for our live show August 19th are going fast. Get them. Go to nprpolitics.eventbrite.com to get yours. Again, nprpolitics.eventbrite.com. We'll see you there in Chicago, August 19th. All right, I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress and this week, the convention. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. Thank you all for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.